Proverbs chapter 2, 3, and 4 today. And last week, uh, I off the cuff mentioned a phrase that was popular when I was growing up called, or uh, the phrase was, what would Jesus do? And as I thought about that phrase this week after I said that and, and knowing what I was going to preach on this morning, I want to do a little research on where that phrase, what would Jesus come do, came from. And I found out that it wasn't just this really cool marketing ploy in uh, the 1990s. It actually has a history behind it. And so, so as I did that, I wanted to share that with you this morning. So in 1896, hey, Justin, it is ringing pretty good up here. Um, in 1896, author Charles Sheldon published a book, th- book titled In His Steps. And the subtitle of this book, In His Steps, was What Would Jesus Do? And the book's ideas back in 1896 went in step with a movement of the time called the social gospel. And the social gospel uh, was, uh, it taught that one should apply Christian ethics to various social problems such as economic equality, poverty, racial tension, and other social evils. We hear some of the same things today. And this was a movement back in the late 1800s that, that really focused on, on doing those things as, as, a, as a Christ follower, but that being the main thing of it. And in the book, many of its characters came across social situations. They would ask themselves as they came across somebody who was poor, somebody who was, was homeless, or somebody that was, was dealing with a, a racial tension issue or, 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 or something along those lines, they would ask themselves, what would Jesus do? They would ask, what would Jesus do? And then that would help determine their course of action. So this book was written in, 19, in 1896, and he had, a, he had a, a, a publisher that put a copyright on it. And the funny thing is, is that the publisher, you would think that a publisher knows what they're supposed to do, right? Um, we're we're going to talk about God's wisdom today. And you would think that a publisher would know what they're supposed to do. Well, they messed up on the copyright. And they did not copyright it appropriately. And so all the different publishers had access to this book this book now. And so they were able to print as many copies and versions of it as they wanted to without having to pay the original publisher. And so this book has now sold over 30 million copies, and it is one of the 50 top-selling novels of all time due to a publishing error. But the phrase, what would Jesus do, was a big component to this book. But that's not even where the phrase began there. If you go back to 1891, Charles Spurgeon, uh, one of the great preachers of his time, was giving a sermon. And in several times in his sermon, he quoted the phrase, what would Jesus do? And attributed it to a book that was written in Latin in the early 1400s by a man named Thomas A. Kempis, entitled Imitatio Christi, or The Imitation of Christ. And so from that, he got the phrase, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus determine what to do? And so in the, in, in, in the course of time, this phrase gained popularity, and then it left, and it gained, and it left. And then in the, in the mid-1990s, there was a resurgence. And there was a youth, youth leader in, in Michigan that, that wanted to teach her students how to act like Jesus did, how to live like Jesus did. And she coined, or she came up with WWJD, and she put it on a T-shirt, and she got some bracelets made. And all of a sudden, it became a phenomenon. And if you are like me and you were in high, middle school and high school in the 90s, you probably had about 25 of these. Next, there. Remember these? The WWJD bracelets. I had one in every color. I probably wore like six at one time. And, and they're still around. And this youth leader has made millions of dollars off of this concept, WWJD. 
And, and while the, the popularity of the phrase, what would Jesus do, has roots in the social gospel theological movement, if we think about it, we can apply this phrase to every aspect of our life. When we have to make a decision, if we ask the question, what would Jesus do, we can apply it to that when we're faced with life's big decisions. If we've got to make a large financial decision, what would Jesus do? I want to get married. Would Jesus marry this person? I want to get divorced. What does Jesus think about divorce? I want to change my careers. What would Jesus do? Is it going to be a career move that's going to honor him? I want to move across the world. Why am I moving across the world? What would Jesus do? We can apply these things, this question, to everything that we do. Because in reality, when we ask the question, what would Jesus do? We're actually asking the question that Andy Stanley calls the best question ever. And so when we ask, what would Jesus do, we are asking, what is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? And the reason we're doing that is because as we continue our God is series, we land on that God is wisdom. And so if Jesus is God, then Jesus is wisdom. And so when we ask, what would Jesus do, we are acknowledging that God is Jesus. John Piper describes wisdom in the Bible as this. Wisdom in the Bible is knowing the greatest goal in any situation and the best way to achieve that goal. Knowing the greatest goal in any situation and the best way to achieve that goal. And so we're going to be in the book of Proverbs today because Proverbs is a book about wisdom. In fact, the majority of Proverbs is written by Solomon. And Solomon is widely considered to be the, the wisest man to ever live. In fact, 1 Kings 4.30 says, So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. He's widely considered to be the wisest man that ever lived. And so when the the man who's who's widely considered to be the wisest man to ever live writes about wisdom, we probably should pay attention. We probably should pay attention to that. It's like if I'm going to go have surgery, I don't want just an average surgeon to perform my surgery. I want to have the best surgeon, someone who's not just knowledgeable to be able to have the skills to do it, but has the wisdom to make the right decisions if something were to start to go wrong or something's not to be the way it normally is. If I'm going to fly on a plane, I, I flew to Guatemala a couple summers ago, and we sat on the tarmac in DFW for two and a half hours because the pilot knew had, had flown that route many times, and he had the wisdom to fly that route. The air traffic controllers had another route that they wanted them to go on. And then the FAA had a third route they wanted them to go on. And so the FAA and the air traffic controllers were arguing with each other for two and a half hours on which way to go. And the pilot is like, I fly this all the time. We all have the knowledge of what is going on, but the pilot's like, I have the wisdom of the actual route because those people sitting at desks at the FAA don't fly that route on a regular basis. I was wanting to fly the route the pilot wanted to fly because he had the wisdom. He was the expert in that field. He knew the best way to achieve the goal. Solomon, the wisest man on earth, is now talking about wisdom. I want to learn as much as I can about wisdom from Solomon. And that's why we read the book of Proverbs. And if if you're looking for an easy way to start reading the Bible, Proverbs is a great one. There's 31 chapters of Proverbs. Not very many of them are long. 
you can read one proverb a day and you can get through the entire book of the Bible in 31 days. Very simple to do. And so um, just line up the day with, with what you want to do and you will grow in wisdom through that. So let's talk about Solomon is saying here when it comes into relation of God being wisdom. Solomon tells us in Proverbs 1.9 that the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So if you want to be a wise person, if you want to make wise choices in your, your life, then you want to fear the Lord and not despise wisdom. Because if you despise wisdom, you're a fool, is what Solomon says. So what we need to start with is a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Because we can all say that we know some pretty smart and bright people, right? But if I were to ask you, are those people wise, you might pause. Because you know, like, they are really, really good at balancing a checkbook. But they do stupid stuff in their life all the time. They make stupid decisions because they're not using wisdom. They have book smarts, but not what we call street smarts, so to speak. So the difference that we need to look at is, is while knowledge and wisdom seems interchangeable here, it's not. They're greatly different. You can have all the knowledge in the world and not be wise. We can look throughout history at all the brilliant and bright minds that did not make wise decisions. There's a pastor named Dr. Lloyd Stilley, and he says this. You can have wisdom without knowledge because in order to discern the best way to achieve a goal, you have to be able to integrate, or excuse me, you cannot have wisdom without knowledge because in order to discern the best way to achieve a goal, you have to be able to integrate, to fuse together all kinds of factors from various sources of knowledge and experience. And that's why if I'm going to have open heart surgery, I want someone who's very experienced and wise doing my open heart surgery because of any abnormality. I don't want somebody that just has book knowledge to freak out on me. I want somebody that has been there before, has seen it and done it, and gained wisdom from that. Knowledge comes before wisdom, but wisdom does not come before knowledge. So how do we take this knowledge here and see that God is wisdom? And then ultimately, how do we apply it to our lives? Well, Romans 16, 25 through 27 says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God. Be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul right there at the end, says there's only one wise God. God. And then in Daniel 2, 21 through 22, it says he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, who, or who has been his counselor, or who has been given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That last one is Romans eleven thirty three through 36. God is wisdom. And the wisdom of, so, of God is so deep and so expensive that he does not and he cannot increase in wisdom. Remember, we talk about God being infinite, God being eternal, God being so big and vast, God being 
the beginning, the now, and the end. He is, he was, and will always be. Meaning, he, he does not change. He does not grow. He does not, he does not diminish. He does not add. He does not subtract to himself. God is God, and so God is wisdom. Paul says that God's wisdom is very deep, so deep that his judgments are unsearchable. I can't get from there, there from here, because it's beyond me. I cannot wrap my mind around the fact, and I've said this so many times, because God's wisdom is so deep that his ways are untraceable, and my mind cannot grasp that. Because as I said so many times in this series, that our finite minds cannot understand the infinite nature of God. And so when we think about his wisdom, we can't fathom how wise he is. We can only scratch the surface of his wisdom. In Romans eleven thirty six, 36, when, when we, we, it says the only way he could increase in wisdom is for something to come into God's mind that has not already come out of God's mind. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says that cannot happen. For from him and through him and to him are all things. For from him and to him and through him are all things. So God cannot change. And this is where we remind ourselves that our minds cannot fully grasp that. And that's okay. It's okay to live in that tension. It's all right. So if we can't understand how great his wisdom is, but we know that his wisdom, that he is wisdom and his wisdom is perfect, what can we learn about wisdom that will help us in our day-to-day lives? What can we look at that will show us how to live a life of wisdom? And so this is where we're going to land in Proverbs 2 through 4, and we're going to look at three things that Solomon says about God's wisdom and how we can apply it to our life today. And so the first one is this, and it's found in Proverbs 2, and it's wisdom protects your path. Wisdom protects your path. Proverbs 2, 1 through 12 says this, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching, watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. So this passage tells us that God will protect our path through his wisdom. If we search for God's wisdom, our path will be protected. And so in order to protect, in order for wisdom to protect our path, we must be walking with God, and we must be walking in his word. And so, look at some of the words that are used here in the first part of Proverbs chapter 2. There's eight imperatives that are used here. Receive, hide. Uh, my, my version says treasure up. Receive, hide, treasure up. Uh, incline, apply, cry after, lift up, seek, search after. 
These eight imperatives are showing us how when we strive and go after God's word, after God's truth, it's our responsibilities towards God's truth that we are to receive, to accept God's word, or to treasure, or to hide them, to store up the, in our minds and hearts, to incline the ear and to apply the heart, to cry after knowledge and lift up the voice for understanding. We are to seek for wisdom and search after it. These are our disciplines that we are supposed to have in our life in order to seek and find the wisdom of God. If you want wisdom, you must listen to God attentively. Matthew 13, 9 tells us that. If you want to gain the wisdom of God, you must, as John 7, 17 says, obey him humbly. James 1, 5 says that we are to ask him sincerely for wisdom. How many of you pray daily for wisdom? Pray for wisdom. Ask sincerely. And Isaiah 55, 6 through 7 says that we are to seek him so that we might know his wisdom. The way a miner searches for silver and gold. These eight imperatives might sound like a lot for us to do on a regular basis. And guess what? It is. It's a lot for us to do. And that's why we have to, in order to gain this spiritual wisdom... To obtain spiritual wisdom, wisdom, we have to have a daily discipline. And obtaining spiritual wisdom is the daily discipline that lasts a lifetime. This daily discipline of these eight imperatives of seeking, of, of searching, of crying out, receiving, hiding, listening, applying the heart. It's a daily discipline. Because spiritual wisdom isn't just handed to us. Spider-Man gets told a lot, with great power comes great responsibility. In order to gain wisdom, wisdom, great wisdom has a lot of responsibility in it. And in order to gain wisdom, we have to be disciplined enough to handle it. We have to seek it. We have to be disciplined it helps rem- being disciplined helps remove distractions that will keep us from navigating off the course. It also allows us to know the path that we've practiced. It's a movie that came out of se- several years ago called The Finest Hours. And it's about a man named Bernie Weber who was a U.S. Coast Guard um, uh, uh, member. I, I don't remember his exact rank. But he... Uh, lived up in the northeast and there was a, a a big storm that came in and 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 a tanker ship had actually split um in two and they were only about five miles off the coast but there was a sandbar that they had to go over and if you've seen this movie you know what i'm talking about um but they uh he got in this little boat with three other men and i mean it, it was it's a boat i don't know if i'd take on lake brady and uh and they got out into these rough seas and they had to go go over the bar over the sandbar and the sandbar because of the shifting currents and and tides and things would, was not always the same and so it was very dangerous to go over it, especially in bad weather. And, and so he's got his boat, and he's got his, his crewmen, and they're going. And, and along the way, they're getting tossed and turned by waves, and, and the compass gets broken out of the boat. And um, this is back in the 50s, and so you know, their technology is a compass. It's not, you know, it's not radar or anything like that. And, and, and so they, they ultimately find the ship and are able to rescue the ship. Well, now he's got to get them home. And, and he has no compass, and it's in the middle of the night, and, and, and they're far enough off that you cannot see the coastline. 
and Bernie has to find the way home. Well, one of the things that they make fun of Bernie in the movie is that he is a by-the-books rule follower. He is disciplined in the rules and standards and policies and procedures of the U.S. Coast Guard. So much so that they, they make fun of him because he will not bend those things. He will not get into a gray area. He's very black and white on that. Well, because he's so disciplined, he knows in a, procedure, in a, in a, in a situation where, where it is chaotic and things are not going the way that they're supposed to go, the way that he's supposed to train, he has gained the wisdom of, if I chart, if I just turn this way, the tides will take me in. And if I make sure that I'm pointed this way, I've got to be in line with the coast. And the tides will, will, will take me in and the, and the currents will push me to where I'm supposed to go. And he's like, it doesn't matter if I end up exactly where I'm supposed to be. It's going to get us to safety. And isn't life like that when we're walking with God? Is we have our direction and our destination, but something happens, and when we're really walking with God and our life is really, really disciplined, and we, we, we step and we say, I'm giving God control of my life through the wisdom that I've gained from him, that he is in control and our destination might be different, but he gets us to safety. And so Bernie's discipline helped rescue those men. And if we have a daily discipline of a lifetime of following these eight imperatives to gain the wisdom of God, we will not only rescue ourselves, but we will rescue many people along the way. Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, says this about the disciplines. He says, the classical disciplines of the spiritual life call us to move beyond surface living into the depths. We must not be led to believe that the disciplines are only for spiritual giants and hence beyond our reach. God intends the disciplines of the spiritual life to be for ordinary human beings. Because be honest with yourself. How many times have you sat in a church service or you've gone to a conference or something like that and you've looked at the person giving the sermon on stage and said, man, that guy, his spiritual disciplines, I could never do the things that he talks about when he's talking about fasting or, 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 or spending like four hours in prayer a day or, or memorizing whole books of the Bible. I could never do that. There, there's like a different spiritual uh, uh, level for them. They're one of the giants. I'm not. I feel that way. I'm like, I see somebody, I'm like, man, I wish I could be like them. Richard Foster is telling us that, that if we put daily disciplines in our lives, if we put these eight disciplines in our life for wisdom on a daily basis, it's accessible to all of us. We don't have to be a spiritual giant. So when we institute them, the ones that are found in Proverbs 2, we begin to live a disciplined life that's going to lead us to God's wisdom. And if we do that and we grow in his wisdom, we see in Proverbs 2, 7, and 8 that he protects the path. It says, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Wisdom protects our path. But wisdom also, also directs our path. And if you get to Proverbs 3, we see now that wisdom is directing us. And, and, and Proverbs 2 continues, and it talks about how you can get on the wrong path and you can get on the right path. And I encourage you to read that. But now when Proverbs 3 comes in, now wisdom is directing our path. And look at what it says. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. 
for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and in man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. And what we see in Proverbs chapter 3 is we see that we see two practical behaviors that allows wisdom to direct, to direct our path, and we see two results from those behaviors. Two results from those behaviors. So the first, the two behaviors that we see here in chapter 3 is we've got to learn God's truth, and we've got to obey God's will. And when we learn God's truth in, in verses 1 through 4, when it says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. We are learning God's truth. And then we're obeying when it says keep my commandments, we're obeying God's will. It's easier said than done, but if you think about it, doing one of them makes the other one easier. If we learn God's truth, if we learn God's word, it makes obeying him a whole lot easier. Because we see all throughout scripture that his promises come true and that the things that he has told people he would do, he does. And so when we learn God's truth and we learn those things and we learn about God's character and who he is, it makes it easier for us to obey him. As a child, you learn that if you do these things, your parents are going to be consistent with their, the allowance you get. You begin to do your chores more, right? My kids have not learned that because I'm not consistent giving them allowance. But when we learn God's truth, we obey God's will. Knowledge leads to wisdom. Experience leads to wisdom. Life in general can lead to wisdom. And that's where we get to the last half of chapter 3. Um, uh, obeying God's will um, leads us to these last two things that say we get to share in God's blessings, but yet we have to submit to God's discipline. Share in God's blessings and submit to God's discipline. Verse, verse 5 says, Then you will understand the fear. Sorry, that's chapter 2. Verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. I used to be deathly afraid of thunderstorms. And I had bunk beds when I was like in third grade. And my parents wrote this verse on the, the, the piece of plywood that held up the second bunk so I could fall asleep to that verse every night. But it goes on in verse 7. It says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights. This wisdom, the blessings that come and the discipline that comes... One of the cool things about God is that we have a freedom to fail. We have a freedom to make mistakes. And I believe that one of the greatest lessons that you can ever learn is 
through failure. Because if everything is always a success, what are you learning? But when, some, when you fail at something, you have to really figure out why. When it says in verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes, that's a warning saying you're going to mess up if you do it on your own. If you think you're wiser than, than you actually are, you're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. It says flee from evil. Verse 8 says, I love this, be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil, because in verse 8, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. There's a blessing right there. God's restoring you. When you mess up, God still loves you. When you fail, God will restore you. Then it goes on in verse 9, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And this can be very easily taken out of context and, and, and taught a false theology of if you give me this much, then God is going to give you this much. Prosperity theology. That's not that. God is saying be obedient to me with your wealth. Share with me your wealth. Honor me with your wealth and you will be blessed. That doesn't mean you're going to be financially wealthy, but you will have what you need. Your barns will be filled with plenty means you have enough. And it comes from God. And then verse 11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. When God disciplines you, it's because he loves you. How many times... Did my dad say growing up, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you? But it's because he loves me. And God loves me, and so I can go into discipline with him, learn the hard lessons with him, experience the pain and the struggle of that because he loves me. He refines me through discipline. He's making me pure and holy through discipline. He is guiding my path. When we walk in the wisdom of God, we receive blessings and we receive discipline so it can direct our path. I've had to go through some really tough times in my life so that I could be here. And I gained knowledge, but I gained wisdom in those times of how to handle certain situations, how to deal with difficult people, how to have the conversation that no one wants to have and really doesn't want to have while you're having it. You learn through experiences and experiences and experiences, and God grows you in wisdom through that. When in those experiences, in that discipline time, you don't turn and run from him, but you turn and run to him. And you do those eight imperatives that Proverbs 2 talks about. Because wisdom protects our path, wisdom guides and directs our path, and ultimately wisdom perfects our path. We find that in chapter 4. Wisdom perfects our path. So what do we do for wisdom to protect our path? Well, the first thing we've got to do, and you're going to see, see a pattern here, is that our path is laid out by God. And I believe that we can get ourselves off that path by making choices. That's what free will is. But we have a redemptive God that will get us back on it. 
And so how do we get back on the perfect path that God laid out for us? Well, the first thing we have to do, and we find this here, and this is the pattern I was talking about, is we must know God's word. If you see anything of similarity throughout this whole thing, it is knowledge of God's word. Knowledge of God's truth. Knowledge of the guiding book that will take us where God wants to take us. Proverbs 4, 1 through 9 says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a, grateful, a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. The whole idea of this is get wisdom. Get wisdom by knowing God's word. Verse 5 tells us to get wisdom. Verse um, 7 tells us to get wisdom. And if you look at the Hebrew translation of verse 5, it tells us to buy wisdom. If you look at Proverbs 23, 23, it says, Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. And the way I take that is that it's saying, By any means necessary that you can, that is honoring to God and ethical, gain wisdom. Acquire wisdom. Get what you can. Make a sacrifice to obtain wisdom. When you purchase something, you're making a sacrifice. You're giving up something to get something. When it says to buy wisdom, that means you're going to make a sacrifice. That might mean you have to get up 30 minutes earlier than you normally do so that you can put these eight imperatives into practice to start your day. That might mean that you don't binge watch that show on Netflix so that you can spend time in God's word that night. Get wisdom. Because the only way for you to survive and walk on the perfect path that God has given to you is to gain in the wisdom of God and to follow the path that he has. And so, so after we know God's word, and that's the repetitive principle of today is know God's word. Get in God's word. Study God's word. And then once we get into that and we begin to study it, then we have to trust in God's providence. We have to trust God's providence. And uh, verses 10 through 12 here, I'm not going to read all. It's actually 10 through 19, but I'm only going to read 10 through 12. It says, Hear, my son, and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be tampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. How many times have you just lived in faith that God's going to provide for you? And I mean, when I say that, I mean you really lived in faith because you did not know where the next thing was going to come from or where the next step was going to come from. You, you, t- you take a step and you say, okay, God, I read all throughout Scripture and I hear all these sermons and I hear all these conversations I have with people talking about how God has provided for me uh, in times of need. Now I'm in need and I'm asking for your provision. I'm asking for your providence. Have you ever really lived in faith like that? Because that's when, when growing in wisdom is you're able to do that. You're able to trust that God's going to provide for you just as he says. When you learn his word and you learn his truth and we learn of his providence through his word, then we can trust him fully 
that the path that he has us on is the path for us. And it's in that that we don't become envious of someone else's career or their financial status or someone else's relationship with their husband or wife or with their kids or the vacations that they get to go on or, or anything you can imagine because you're content in who you are because you find worth in the provisions of God. That's when your life starts to begin to live on wisdom. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I've taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the path of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble because God is going to guide you every step of the way. That's his perfect path for you is that God is guiding you. And when you understand that, when you know God's word and you trust his providence, it makes it very, very easy for the last part of chapter 4 to obey God's will. And that's another repeat that we've seen throughout this passage of scripture this morning is that we are to know God's truth, but we're to obey God's will. Proverbs 4, 20 through 27 says this. It says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them. The words of God are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or swerve to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. The perfect path for you is God's will for you. And when we grow in God's wisdom and we put our eyes ahead and we follow that path, that's when we're obeying God's will. And that is when we see the blessings that God has in store for us. Blessings that we in our finite minds could never dream imaginable. Blessings that come out of nowhere. We live in the fullness and the joy of following God's will. So my question to you is, where are you in obtaining the wisdom of God? Where are you in obtaining the wisdom of God? Are you at the beginning? Are you just beginning to learn God's word? Or are you getting pretty good at that and, and, you, and you, you know some things and, and, and you're surprised that when, when you're talking to someone and, and, a, and a scripture comes out and you're like, I didn't know I knew that scripture. But you've been storing it up in your heart because you've been studying it and you're going along. And, and, then, and then you get into a difficult situation and you might, be, you might be to a point that you're starting to trust in his providence. And, and you've got a decision to make and, and you don't know which way to go. And you're, and, you're, and you're up in the air and you're trying to balance the scales of it. And you just say, I don't know, I'm going to let God guide me. And I'm going to trust that, that what he places on my heart is the way for it to go. And you trust in his providence And you don't make the decision yourself, you let God guide you. And that's a very difficult thing to understand. Am I truly letting God guide me, or am I still making my own decision? That's where faith comes in. Or are you at the point that you're obeying God's will on a regular basis? You know God has placed something in your life, and you've made sacrifices, even though it's not what you want, but it's what God has laid out in front of you, and you have made those sacrifices to to pursue that. We're all on different parts of our journey. And some of us will get here and then we'll have to take a step back. But we serve a God that loves us and restores us and redeems us. And that's a truth that I want you to leave here with today. 
that when we grow in wisdom, we grow in God's wisdom, we can live in the fact that God loves us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for this word of wisdom from, from Solomon, this wise man that, that shows us how we can live our lives to obey and honor you and to, to grow wise in you, to make wise choices that, that when our lives are seen by others, they see the path that we're on. They might not understand it, but they see that there's something supernatural guiding us. Something that doesn't make sense, but that we live in this unbelievable joy. This unspeakable joy and calm because we are on the perfect path that you've laid out for us. Take us through the experiences that we need to. Take us through the refining fire that we need to be in to grow closer to you, to grow in wisdom in you. But Father, don't let us be ones that store up the wisdom and not share it, but let us impart that wisdom upon those around us where we can begin to mentor and to train and to disciple future generations for you. Father, I know that that, in order for that to happen, that that has to begin with a relationship with you. And I know that if there's someone in this room, they might not know you. And I just pray that you would reveal yourself to them. You would, you would open their eyes and you'd open their heart to, to the goodness and the fullness of you and the, 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 the blessings that can come from having a relationship with you, Lord. The ultimate blessing of that eternal life, Lord. Father, I pray there's anyone in this room that's feeling that, that they would be courageous to come and just say, hey, I'd like to know more. I'd like to talk more about that. Father, for those of us that are on different parts of our journey, Lord, I just continue to ask that you continue to, to mold us and to shape us into the, the man or woman, the son or daughter that you have created us to be so that we might live our lives for you. We thank you for the gift of forgiveness, the gift of redemption, the gift of restoration that you've given us. It's your name we pray. Amen. If you stand with us, we're going to have a short time of response. If you'd like to know more about knowing Jesus, um, I'll be down front. If you want to make this your church home, I'll be here as well. We can talk about that. But um, just spend some time in prayer or singing uh, uh, to God as, as we close in a, in a song of response.